Hey guys, welcome to the View from the Front podcast, where you're going to find news that you won't find anywhere else, and where you're going to hear from a guy who wants to unite the country, who wants to show as much love as humanly possible, and who wants to motivate and make you a little bit wiser with each and every episode. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior Marine and a guy who spent more than 10 years in the news business. And as a guy who's been deployed overseas, and as a guy who worries a lot about our current media situation, as well as the state of our country, I decided it was time to have a place where you can come listen and just get the facts, no matter what side you are on. I absolutely love America, and I care a lot about our military, where they're at, where they might be going, what conflicts might be on the horizon. We need a calm and solid media voice, who doesn't work to divide, and who doesn't use scare tactics or extreme, minuscule examples to work up their audience. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I know that our democracy doesn't work without informed voters. And I also know we need to grow closer together and show more patience and kindness to everyone. Most Americans are good, and we need to remember this, always. And with that out of the way, let's get started. This is the February 16th edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. Uh, in this episode, we have like so much news. and uh, So this is stuff I don't think most of you have seen in the news, but a uh, quick rundown on them is we have several things on all the recent shootdowns of aerial objects around America. I'll share my own quick take on UFOs and the possibility of whether they're real. Um, we'll move to Ukraine. We're going to cover a lot of different topics there, and again, a lot has happened there, so I'll try to move quickly through it all. We'll then go to cover quite a few topics on China. These are things you probably haven't seen or heard in typical nightly news coverage. I'll try to just briefly touch on those items. Then we'll do one short update on Iran. And then finally, we will cover plenty of motivation and wisdom. So there's so much news that honestly, it's like almost overwhelming so I'm not even going to do a personal news update this week. Not a lot to mention anyway. So we will go straight into the news and just get it started. So we begin with these. Obviously the news has been covering it some, but the shooting down of several objects since the last time we talked about shooting something down, which was the Chinese balloon. It's happened multiple times since then. And before I get into that, I want to mention one thing that I saw on Twitter from uh, Colonel David LaPan. Uh, guy served 30 years in the Marine Corps, got out as a colonel, and when someone served 30 years, you should listen to what they have to say. And he said it best that before we get to any of this stuff, we just need to stop the hysterics and wait for the actual facts. And he was actually sharing a, uh, a social media message from Congressman Jason Crow, who is a Democrat, but most importantly, is a former Army Ranger, did multiple tours with the 82nd Airborne Division, 75th Ranger Regiment, and has done combat tours. So this is a guy who's been downrange and been in Congress for several years now. I think about four or five. I needed to look that up, so I apologize that I didn't look that up. But I wanted to share what Congressman Crow said, and he said... There's a lot of political responses to the flying object issue, so here's some perspective. And these were just really good, so I'm just going to read them. There's about six of them. First, we're not being invaded by aliens, so everyone can calm down and come out of your bunkers. Two, the administration takes this seriously. President Biden is the first to actually shoot them down. Three, we're recovering wreckage and analyzing to get answers, but getting answers takes time. Number four. This administration has always briefed Congress when there is something to brief. Five, briefing Congress prematurely is always, in all caps, a bad idea. I agree with him on that. Number six, the administration has been in regular contact with, member of con with members of Congress from states impacted by flyovers and shootdowns. And then um, he said that we should let the process work out and that we have an administration surrounded with people who take national security seriously. So now I know not everyone will agree with that and will say, well, the guy's a Democrat. Of course he said that, so I won't agree or disagree with that. But I think his bigger points are dead on, which is that no matter how much you kind of dig on this, no one's real sure at this point 
who or what sent these objects up, except for the whole UFO thing. And I will briefly talk about that. So, I guess the big question is, is why are we suddenly shooting down things? We've shot down three of them. And the answer to that is, according to the administration, and I've got an Associated Press article linked in the Substack notes if you want to go read it. But I'll just mention a couple of parts from uh, two paragraphs there. And the White House is saying that it shot down three of the unidentified objects for this reason. And that is that they were at a lower altitude and the unmanned things were traveling at an altitude that posed a risk to civilian commercial air traffic and therefore they were shot down. Um, they don't have, the White House doesn't have evidence yet that they were equipped for spying purposes, although that hasn't been ruled out yet either. Again, go back to point one, which is we should wait until we have more information, such as with the Chinese surveillance balloon that was shot down. We've now picked up most of the most sensitive sensors, and so at some point we'll probably get a little bit more information in the public realm about that, although certainly not everything that we would want because I'm sure that's highly classified information. Now with all this going on, of course people are talking about could it be UFOs? I had a co-worker reach out to me about that from my day job, and um, I've also had a one person on social media reach out, Stan, what's your take? And I'm getting like links to YouTube videos and links to articles of unexplained experiences, etc. So let me just give you my take on that as I shared with uh, a couple of people. And mostly I haven't because I don't feel like arguing with people. I'm not really in an emotional state with everything going on with my mom to argue. But here's the honest truth with my take on UFOs. I am the wrong person to ask. I'll flat out say I don't believe in UFOs. Period. End of story. Um, the White House has said, and I've got a CNN article linked, that the um, unidentified objects are not anything extraterrestrial. Nothing like that. Um, the spokesperson from the White House said that I know there have been questions and concerns about this, but there is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity that was set on Monday. And to be honest, I mean, obviously I could be wrong, and there could be such things as UFOs. I know a lot of people believe in them. Some people really get in the weeds on studying them. But I'm just telling you right now that if, if that's what you want researched, I'm not your guy. I'm just admitting my bias. And to be completely honest, if I were... a abducted by aliens tomorrow, I would say it was a hallucination. It just simply does not fit my worldview or my belief system. So I am not the person to be doing the research for UFOs for you. So I apologize if that's what you're here for, but I just want to be honest and tell you where I am. So there's no point in me even like trying to research you know, the person on social media wanted me to research these two stories and either knock them down or whatever. But there's no point in going into something with that kind of preconceived notion. Back when I did journalism a lot, it was best to approach stories with an open mind because often you would you might go into it thinking one or the other, but the facts would lead you one way that you didn't expect or whatnot. It's just best to go into things with a, you know, an open mind. And I'm telling you, I don't have an open mind about UFOs, so... That's my honest take on that, so I apologize for those who that disappoints. So, we've kind of basically talked about this. We've covered it as best with what we know now, which there's not a lot that we know exactly what these things are. So you might say, well, will the Biden administration be honest about this? Will we ever know? Can we trust them? And I can almost hear those questions out there. My thoughts on this is that, you know, any administration might try to put a spin on something or maybe not reveal everything. But the reality is, is this has been such a big story. It's been in the news so much. The public is just completely fascinated by it. Is that, so my take is that the Biden administration will have to share a decent amount about this. Because if they don't, and even with what they do share, the media is going to chase this story down like crazy. There aren't many, we talked a week ago, there aren't many big foreign policy stories and the balloon getting shot down was a big one. You know, you go back to like the Afghan war or 9-11 or the invasion of Iraq. When the media has a big story, it will chase them down. 
And there's a few reasons for that. One, it's in the public interest. Two, and I've been a reporter, you know, you, you break a story on something like this, you win awards. That's the bottom line, which makes you a bigger name, which makes you higher profile, which, which leads to more money, or maybe you get picked up by the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or a bigger media organization. So I guarantee you there are dozens, probably between 20 and 30 really good reporters who have lots of sources in the Pentagon and the Air Force in various places, and they are working these sources like crazy, begging them for off-the-record info on what the decisions were, what we think they could be. And I'm telling you, it will eventually come out. And the person who breaks the story will eventually get book deals. You can study any media um, reporting on whether it's the invasion of Iraq or Afghanistan or 9-11, like I mentioned. You can go back to like Black Hawk Down during the... Uh, big firefight that the rangers had 18 hour firefight in mogadishu there was a reporter that ended up getting a book deal which also led to a movie deal it is in reporters interest to report on things that the public cares a lot about this is one of those stories so yes i think the biden administration will have to be somewhat honest about it and as i mentioned in the earlier part congress is going to be asking lots of questions they're going to be demanding briefings so they're going to have to be fairly open but more than that, the media is going to chase the story down like you cannot believe. So, yes, I think we will eventually find out what these three objects were, who was involved in it, whether it was, you know, some country or some commercial interest or we'll figure it out. That's uh, I'm calling that as my prediction. So let's move to Ukraine news. There is a ton of news in Ukraine. I will try to move through each topic as briefly as possible. We begin with SpaceX and Starlink admitting that they have been preventing Ukrainian troops from using Starlink satellites as well as Starlink internet for uh, drones. And you may remember late last year, there was, and I briefly covered, there was a lot of folks, there were some outages that happened where Ukraine could not its military could not communicate using Starlink satellites. Now, Starlink satellites are low-flying satellites. There's uh, thousands of them. There's, uh, I think at this moment, there's about 3,600 of them. And so they're small satellites. They go across the, you know, the, the uh, globe in low Earth orbit, it's called. Um, Long-term, there's supposed to be like 12,000 of these. And they're in the, in the sky to allow for, you know, low-cost internet. But early in the, in the war with Ukraine, and there were some government contracts from the United States and other European countries that was paying to um, allow Starlink to provide some services to Ukraine. And so Ukraine started, its military really began to depend on this internet um, usage that was from these low-flying satellites. But beginning about last year, it started to become less reliable. And it seemed to happen at times when the Ukrainians really needed it, either when they were in the middle of an offensive or when there was certain issues happening with Russia. And a lot of people started to suspect that it seemed a little curious some of the timing of this. Well, it's now come out that they have admitted that they are blocking Ukrainian troops from using satellite technology in certain instances, such as when um, they're using drones. Um, their president said it was never meant to be used militarily. So it'll be interesting a bit on how this plays out because the U.S. government has a contract with them. Obviously, uh, Elon Musk is a very powerful person. Uh, I will share two tweets that happened because sometimes you can get very powerful people to say things without the filter of a spokesperson. And so astronaut Scott Kelly tweeted Elon Musk, who is obviously involved in SpaceX and is obviously involved in Starlink satellites. And he said to Elon Musk, Ukraine desperately needs your continued support Please restore the full functionality of your Starlink satellites. 
defense from a genocidal invasion is not an offensive capability. It's survival. Innocent lives will be lost. You can help. Thank you. And so that went very, very viral. I believe it had like 20 million views or something crazy. So Elon Musk finally answers, and he says, You're smart enough not to swallow media and other propaganda BS. Starlink is the communication backbone of Ukraine, especially at the front lines, where almost all other internet connectivity has been destroyed, but we will not enable escalation of conflict that may lead to World War III. So, a bit of background on that. Uh, Elon Musk has been big about trying to negotiate peace between Russia and Ukraine, and I guess this is one of those glass-half-full, glass-half-empty stories. You can either be really thankful that Ukraine's able to use this system, or you can say, you know, it's not great for it to be restricted after they became dependent on it. Or you could say, I understand Elon Musk's position on this, and let's just somehow try to have peace happening over there. Regardless, it was finally admitted to, and it was long suspected, but I did definitely want to update you guys on that. So let's get to the next topic. Let's talk for a second about tanks in Ukraine. I've got a video in the Substack notes of an interview done with a gentleman named Major uh, Vadim Kodak uh, with the 4th Tank Brigade. A couple of interesting things about this. And first of all, they're training on the German Leopard tanks. Now, I say Leopard, I am fully aware that some U.S. generals call it Leopard tanks. I did all kinds of research on the pronunciation and it seems like you can say it either way. And the bottom line is is that I'm not a tanker, A, B, I'm pretty proudly American, and so it's a leopard tank. So I'm going with leopard. If I'm wrong, you can shout at me on Twitter or whatever. I get it. But what's interesting about this video, a, a couple of things, but mainly, they've started the training. They are in Poland. They've got their leopard tanks, so there's Ukrainian troops training in them with them, so hopefully these will be deployed to Ukraine soon. But what's crazy is the guy they interviewed, this Major Vadim Kodak, you look at him and you're like, man, that guy looks a little old. Like, he doesn't really look 20 or 30, doesn't even really look 40. And he's got kind of a deep voice, and he just looks like the kind of guy you really wouldn't want to mess with. Turns out he's 57, and he was retired, and he volunteered to go fight when the Russian invasion happened. He's a pensioner, is what he called himself. So, retired, I guess, getting their version of Social Security. And so the fighting happens, and this guy volunteers, and he's worked his way up the ranks, and he's now a major in the Ukrainian army. And so he's the one leading these Ukrainian soldiers who had very little warning, were removed from the front line. So this guy was on the front line and moved back to Poland, to begin training almost immediately. These guys aren't getting time off. This isn't a, hey, you know, you get the weekend off, we're going to take you to Poland and train. They took him back, the training, and he said he can't wait to get the tanks back to the front line to save some lives because they don't have enough armored vehicles, and he thinks these will be decisive. And he brags about the tanks a lot. The video is a minute, 10 seconds long if you want to watch it, but anyone who doubts how quickly Ukrainians can be trained, or how talented these soldiers can be, this is an amazing video to watch, because you will see the eyes of a man who is tired, but determined, and you will see the eyes of a man, and of a people that we have seen throughout this entire war since the invasion happened back in February, and these are people who will not be defeated, and they will not stop until they've driven the Russians out of their country, they have seen too much bloodshed, they have seen too many people die. And it's inspiring, honestly. I mentioned a few weeks ago, but I'm reading a, a book on a, the American Revolution. And it's amazing how many older fighters there were during our own fight for freedom. And some of them, uh, one particular, I should have written down the name, but this guy helped win a battle. And then died like a couple of weeks later from basically heart failure. Absolutely nothing to do with that battle, but he'd fought in the French and Indian War. He had a lot of experience. He was just kind of an older dude in his late 40s, early 50s, which back then was much older than now. 
but he wanted to fight for his country, and he went and fought, fought his guts out, and a week or two later died, and had nothing to do with the battle, but he was crucial to that, winning that battle, but you just see this guy, and you're like, man, like, you can't see this guy and not think about maybe your own grandfather, and just imagine that there are, there are people in their 50s, this guy's 57, fighting for their freedom in Ukraine, and it's, it's it's inspiring, honestly. It's just beyond inspiring. And it's also kind of sad because on the other end, we know there are undertrained, very young, ill-equipped Russian... I, I want to say men, but they're almost like older boys. But, you know, they're 18, 19-year-olds. Same, same, same as, you know, I was back in the day. But I've talked about how much more training we got in the Marine Corps with the 13 weeks of boot camp, a couple of months infantry training... Lots of training in a, in a unit before they sent us anywhere. And some of these poor Russian draftees are literally getting days of training. Two or three days. Maybe they fire five or six rounds from an AK. They're just literally sending them in mass wave attacks. And they're being cut down by very experienced, very hardened Ukrainian soldiers who are not going to give up. And who are now increasingly better equipped and better supplied. So, again, as I've said many times, this is horrific what Vladimir Putin is doing to his own people in this ambitious war of his. In other Russia news, the State Department, the Secretary of State, actually, Anthony Blinken, uh, Blinken released a, or highlighted a report that was done that lays out the specifics of Russia's vast program to take Ukrainian children from their families relocate them across borders, and re-educate them to be pro-Russia. So I've got a link to that. I've said before, guys, and you guys know this who listen for a bit, I, I can't act like I'm a neutral party in this as far as what is happening in Ukraine because I think what the Russians have been doing is horrific. The targeting of civilians, the war even to begin with, but then targeting civilian infrastructure, apartment buildings, etc., indiscriminately, and sometimes on purpose, especially with utilities and infrastructure. But even these apartment buildings, it seems pretty obvious they're being attacked on purpose. But on top of all that, and on top of the torturing of Ukrainian civilians and prisoners of war, this taking of children from their families, putting them on trains... Uh, the report talks about they've identified 43 facilities where the Russian government relocates these children. Often it's thousands of miles away from their home. There's evidence, and serious evidence, that the Russian government severs communication between the children and their relatives. They prevent them from returning, and then they re-educate them to become pro-Russia. So, I mean, this is like the most despicable horrible thing you could do. And so it's very hard to be neutral on your reporting of what's happening over there. So I wanted to highlight that. If you want to read the report, I got a link to it in the Substack notes. I can't honestly talk about it much without getting just so absolutely angry about it that I can't really, I barely can talk about it. So we'll just move to the next topic. This next thing that I wanted to highlight is along similar lines to the last one. And that's a Washington Post story, which I know a lot of folks can't read the Washington Post story. But it just details the barbarity and inhumanity of the Russian tactics happening in the southern part of the country. Uh, the headline of the story is Ukraine liberated Kherson city. Now Russia is destroying it. And so it's a long article that just lays out how Russia is bombing the hospital, all these various parts of it. It's just literally trying to use artillery just to blast it to the ground. And the irony of this is that Russia, it was one of the only capitals that Russia had seized in its war since February. And so they they tried as hard as they could to defend it and and obviously retain control. That was something that Putin was very proud of. And Ukraine's liberated a, a large part of it. But now Russia is just trying to just blast it to the ground because they can't control it. So they're just going to destroy it, try to run all the people out. And they try to interview some folks for this story, but it's they couldn't find a lot of people to interview. So they mostly just showed the blast and what's happening because a lot of these uh, families have survivors and families who are 
behind the lines in Russian-controlled territory further to the south in the Crimean Peninsula. So a lot of these folks are afraid to comment or be photographed because obviously cousins, sisters, brothers, parents, etc., who are behind Russian lines could be executed or tortured. But it's horrific what the Russians are doing, and I did just want to share that because for the really astute listeners, you may remember when Ukraine was very close to taking the city. They didn't want to, they were trying to avoid any damage to it. So they were thinking about just doing the old fashioned, just a um, siege of the city. And Russia was like, we don't want fighting near it because we don't want to damage the city. And we're worried about the residents there. And they were wanting like a little ceasefire, no fighting around it while they basically repositioned forces. The Ukrainians wouldn't allow it, so the Russians ended up having to withdraw from part of it across the Dnipro River. And so a lot of the longtime listeners will remember all this. And at the time, Russia was just like, oh, we don't want to destroy the city. We don't want fighting there. And yet again, we see more proof of just complete Russian lies and propaganda as they just blast the city rubble uh, using artillery, long range, and and missiles into hospitals and children's wards. All of it's documented with photographs in this Washington Post story, which is amazing. But I know a lot of y'all don't have that, you know, subscription to their service, but I don't think anyone listening to this is probably doubting a word I say. You can probably find some similar articles. If you just Google curse on Russian artillery, you'll probably find a dozen links there. So enough on that, let's go to the next topic. So we've had a couple of heavy topics about the war in Ukraine, and it is a horrible war with just unbelievable suffering. So let's move to a couple of lighter ones, lighter topics on Ukraine, and then we're going to move to China. So we had talked about a few episodes ago about, and in fact I included photos and everything because I'm all about tactics in war, technology, evolving changes that happen. And you may remember we shared video or, or photos of a, I believe it was a tank or an artillery piece, but now I'm, I apologize, I can't remember which of the two it was, but there was a, a loitering munition from the Russians that had flown in to destroy this uh, Ukrainian piece of equipment. And it had hit some tree tree branches and also camo netting around it. And as such, it was kind of caught up, lost its momentum, and it didn't blow up. And I was like, wow, you know, could this be the start of something where they'll figure out some kind of rigging of netting? Because these loitering munitions, we went into some detail about it, but just as a reminder, they're mostly gas-powered, propeller-powered. They're not flying at like hundreds of miles per hour like some kind of missile they're just slow-moving, propeller-like drones that basically kamikaze themselves into a target with a very small warhead. Now, if they blow up, it'll blow up a tank. It'll destroy artillery. They're very effective, and they've been one of the more effective weapons that the Russians have had. But I surmised that I bet the Ukrainians would find a way, now that this accidental, basically, blockage on this kamikaze drone had happened, that they would find a way to stop these loitering munitions. And lo and behold, if you look in the Substack notes in today's edition, there is, believe it or not, <laughs> the Ukrainians are doing it. They have, and it's, it looks like, I don't want to quite call it like chicken wire, but it's very thick looking wire, almost like not to the level of thickness that you would see in America around like a chain link fence for dogs. It's a little bit thinner than that, but there's this massively wide piece over an artillery position, clearly intended against the loitering munitions, the ones they call lancets. And so clearly the, the Ukrainians have figured out, hey, best way to stop this, let's put like, wire netting over some of our vehicles. And I had said back then that I bet they would figure out a way to have some type of steel poles or something like that, that you could put these things over tanks and other vehicles that are moving. Now, clearly these things wouldn't protect against 
you know, anti-tank missiles, but that isn't the real threat. The Russians don't have a lot of those. Their troops aren't very well trained. It's just these drones, these kamikaze drones and these loitering munitions, many of which are coming from Iran, that are proving a serious problem now. So it's just kind of awesome that the Ukrainians have that quickly figured out a way and already implemented on the battlefield a way to stop these loitering munitions. And if you remember when we talked about this, I said there's nothing like the you know the battlefield and real war and real casualties to expedite and accelerate ingenuity. And I said then, I said, I'll bet you they'll find a way, people smarter than me, to implement these items very quickly to stop these loitering munitions. And sure enough, there's a photo that was shared on Twitter that shows this fencing over an artillery position. Really amazing, worth looking at, and um, definitely something that probably helps protect it because they've increasingly been winning the artillery war in Ukraine. So as they have, the Russians have resorted to these drones, and now Ukraine's finding a way to counter the drones, which is one of the last weapons that Russia has been using with some effect. One final point on the Ukraine war in this episode. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, Mark Milley, made quite a declaration, honestly. And he stated on February 14th, which was Tuesday, that Russia had lost the war in Ukraine. And he said they've lost strategically, operationally, and tactically, and they are paying an enormous price on the battlefield. And he said that while Russia has waged this war for far too long, they will not outlast Ukrainian people, nor the group of allies and partners that were meeting on that day. So I got video to that as well, and the comments linked from a reporter. But pretty bold words. And, you know, some of the folks that I interacted with on Twitter were saying, yeah, you know, it's a little too soon to be saying that maybe, but... I'm not sure the background on that, if it was just, let's just state this very forcefully now so that they, Russia knows that we're determined and we're not going to relent. I'm not sure of any of that or the political background of it, but very strong words, and I definitely wanted to share that. You can listen to the video. It's only about 30 seconds if you want to jump on the Substack page of mine and listen to it. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please sign up for email notifications. It's free to do so, unless you choose to subscribe and support what I'm doing. Make sure to visit my website, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. From there, you can subscribe to the show by email, so you'll never miss a show. And again, that's free. Also, people are always asking me on social media how to best support my dreams, including getting out future books sooner. Believe me, the best way to support me is by signing up for a paid subscription on my Substack page, or you can sign up at Patreon, where you can find me by searching my name, Stan R. Mitchell, or at Venmo, where you can find my name by searching at Author Stan R. Mitchell. All of these links can be found on my Substack page, and it's $5 per month should you choose to support the show with a subscription. Obviously, you can cancel at any time. Thanks so much. Let's now move to China. And just like with the Ukraine subject, I have several stories here I want to highlight. I'm going to try to keep them brief since, like I said, there's just a ton of news. But the first thing we will begin with is Japan actually reported that it strongly suspects that uh, three Chinese spy balloons entered, entered its airspace between 2019 and 2021. If you read the story, I've got a link to it. There's a CNN article. But China says, I'm sorry, uh, Japan says that the Chinese spy balloons, that they requested a response from China, and China never answered as to whether they were over the Japanese airspace or not. But Japan did say that there is a chance that they will shoot down any future ones. And as we've said in previous episodes, Japan is increasingly building up its budget that it could end up having the third largest military budget in the world if they get it approved in their Congress. And that they've also begun shifting forces 
They don't plan to allow China to invade Taiwan, as we've talked about. And I also highlighted in a previous episode that they flew two F-15s down to, I believe it was the Philippines. It might have been Vietnam. I can't remember which um, southeastern Asian country it was, but it was one to show that it will begin shifting forces to assist allies in the region as China continues to push and bully uh, Japan doesn't plan on waiting to allow that to happen to you know to allow China to get so big and strong after it gobbles up potentially Taiwan or other countries there Japan isn't going to wait so they're wanting to help as the US is build up an alliance that will use deterrence to keep China within its borders and territorial waters is the goal that was the first story now speaking of foreign partners in that area or alliances, the U.S. issued a warning that it will defend the Philippines after China used military-grade lasers to briefly blind sailors uh, of the Philippine Navy. And so I've got a few links to some items there if you want to get into the weeds a bit on that. But the um, lasers were used by... A um, down in the disputed South China Sea, and a Chinese Coast Guard ship allegedly hit the Philippine patrol vessel with military-grade laser. It um, briefly blinded some of the Filipino forces, and so the U.S. immediately uh, condemned what it called the shadowing, harassment, dangerous maneuvers, and directing of military-grade laser um as well as illegal radio challenges that the Chinese ship was doing. Now, Congressman Adam Kinzinger weighed in on this, and he stated that, that you know, laser devices are no joke. They have blinded people permanently, and it's a major problem for pilots. He's actually a U.S. Air Force pilot, um, and he said it was a sick method for China to harass, and he called it actual malice. Now, the U.S. Department of State released a message regarding this, and I'll just read part of it. The United States stands with our Philippine allies in the face of the People's Republic of China. Coast Guard's reported use of laser devices against the crew of a Philippine Coast Guard ship on February 6th in the South China Sea. So they call the China's uh, conduct provocative and unsafe, resulting in the temporary blindness of the crew members, and it names the ship, and that it interfered with the Philippines' lawful operations in and around this uh, area of the sea. It names it. uh, It's called the Second Thomas Shoal area. um, And that it also said China's dangerous operational behavior directly threatens regional peace and stability, that it infringes upon freedom of navigation in the South China Sea, which is guaranteed under international law, and that it undermined the rules-based international order. And so the statement also says that the um, U.S. stands with the Phil- our Philippine allies uh, in, um, in upholding the rules-based international maritime order, and that it reaffirms an armed attack on Philippine armed forces, public vessels, or a- aircraft, including those of the Coast Guard in the South China Sea, would invoke U.S. mutual defense commitments under Article 4 of the 1951 U.S.-Philippines Mutual Defense Treaty. So, that was all stated by the Department of State. For those who don't know, the Department of State is made up of diplomats. They state things in the least offensive and most safe way in ways that aren't provocative. But when you are literally citing a defense treaty and one can make the case that deploying lasers is an attack on an allied nation. So, I mean, China has really, really edged up to the, you know, they are towing the line of something that could lead to some type of international incident. We've obviously had them with China before. We've talked about in previous episodes when our spy plane was you know, interfered with and had to emergency land back during the uh, George Bush administration. So China has 
pushed its luck before, and I keep hoping that maybe they would change course, or maybe reasonable minds might, I guess, convince um, Xi Jinping not to do anything too crazy. But that was not exactly a data point that says reasonable minds are winning right now. Now this is a deal that has been in the works for a bit, so it's not like a direct reaction to what happened with those lasers, but literally the same time period in the past week, the U.S. military gained access to four more Philippine bases. So we're going to have four more be uh, four more bases in the Philippines, and I wanted to share just a bit on that. Um, the deal was announced on Thursday. It gives the troops access to obviously four more bases. Um, the defense uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin announced the deal. And what's interesting is that in the past, the, the previous president of the Philippines, uh, Rodrigo Duarte, he had obviously been leaning toward China, if not favored it, over America. But there's a new administration in the Philippines, and that person is named Ferdinand Marcos. And that Marcos has been working to change that policy. And as China has increasingly become more aggressive, obviously the support of people in the Philippines, they don't like to get pushed around by any bully, as the people of any country wouldn't want to do. And so it's increasingly popular to be pro-U.S. in that relationship between the two big countries of China and the United States. So wanted to share that. Now, this next little thing I wanted to highlight is very similar to what we just covered in the Philippines, which is that the U.S. announced that they are opening a new base in Guam. Uh, eventually, it's going to be housed mostly by Marines, but eventually it'll house up to 5,000 troops. And what's interesting is the Marine Corps Commandant said, we don't want to fight to get to the fight. We want to already be inside. So if there's a conflict, the stand-in forces are already forward. Now, what he's referring to is during World War II, when Japan took a bunch of islands and obviously expanded its empire, the U.S. had to go do island hopping campaigns, which I'm sure most of us have seen movies about if you haven't read much about it. But we had to take island off after island, and it was incredibly bloody and brutal fighting. And every amphibious operation, as we've discussed in earlier episodes as well, as we talked about China possibly invading Taiwan, amphibious operations are complex, they're hard to do, and so whether it's China potentially invading Taiwan or the U.S. trying to conduct a counteroffensive, it's not fun to try to do amphibious operations. We've spent decades practicing them. And so the Marine Corps is increasingly saying, hey, forget us responding to China. Let's just go ahead and put some troops closer nearby so that we can defend places that they, you know, might potentially try to take. So that's what's happening there. I've got a link to the Wall Street Journal article about it, but you can, I know most people don't have a Wall Street Journal uh, subscription. You can Google just a uh, new U.S. base, the word Guam. You'll probably find some articles on that, but definitely pretty big news on that front as well. One final thing about China that I did want to cover got a link to an article where when we shot down the balloon our defense officials tried to call Chinese defense officials to kind of update them on what was happening make sure that there was communication make sure there was no reaction and it has since come out that Chinese officials did not answer the phone so this is never a good thing uh, anyone who studied military history knows that during our Cold War with Russia a lot of times we de-escalated things by, you know, there's the old, in theory, the um, you see it in the movies, the red phone that we could call. But we had several ways that we could communicate with them to make sure there were no misunderstandings or overreactions to events happening in real time at that, you know, through our history. And so we have the same situation with China, but when it was needed last week... They didn't answer the phone. So that is not a good thing. I'm just throwing that in there. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about it. But it's it's safe to say that the communication isn't very strong right now. And that's never a good thing. Especially when they have 
pilots that act aggressively and and at times they have naval forces that act aggressively toward US ships so it's just not a good thing that the communication isn't there so that wraps up China we covered quite a bit there I tried to move through it as quickly as possible obviously the high level summary is that a lot of antagonistic things happened between us and them and a lot of forces are being positioned and so unfortunately we continue to move toward a not so great situation with China let's keep hoping that maybe they will see that is not the right long term plan for their country but at the moment things continue to kind of move in that direction now i told you i would update uh, news about Iran if I saw any updates and I did just want to share one small thing from CNN and we've talked in the past it's very hard to get news out of Iran they control social media they block internet um, you don't want to be caught talking to the media or doing anything like that or they will torture or possibly kill you but there is a little bit of news in that a prominent Iranian human rights lawyer has said during a uh, CNN interview that the demonstrations have mostly quieted down but that most that many Ara- Iranians still want regime change so just trying to read between the lines on that it does seem like that the Iranian government has stabilized things and with anything such as this you know, if you're if there's going to be a revolution or something get get you know overthrown, typically people have to be very hot and angry at an absolute almost boiling rage. And as the weeks and months have passed, I think a lot of that has kind of dissipated. Now, clearly, I don't think the Iranian government has a very large popular mandate, but I do think they managed to not overreact and to just kind of wait out the people. And I think a lot of that anger has just kind of dissipated. We will now get to the motivation and wisdom section. And, you know, one of the things I've learned is that we are all prone to influences. And honestly, we're more prone to them than we even want to admit. For example, just a couple of months ago, you know, dead middle of winter, a lady went running by the house down the street in the cold. You know, it was probably... 30 or so, 35, but it's still pretty cold. I don't like cold weather. Let me just put that out there. But immediately I was like, man, you know, she's out there running. Why Why am I not? And so later that day I went for a run. Same thing happens when we watch TV, which we shouldn't watch too much of, but you guys know that already. You see a commercial that has steaming hot pizza on it. Next thing you know, you want some pizza. So just as... We know that all of us are easily influenced. It's my hope that these weekly messages help influence you just a little bit in a positive way. With that, we'll just get started. All right, as I say, every week you can find these in the source notes, and we've got some great ones this week. So if you're the kind of person who gets on Twitter, and I know that is not the ideal platform for most people, maybe not even many people, but... I enjoy getting on there. I've learned a lot. It's helped me a lot. And so if you are on there, these are some great folks to follow. And it is proof that even in places like the depths of Twitter, you can find amazing content. So, and I say that because obviously there's just a lot of political fighting in Twitter. But let's just begin. Here is the first one. If it comes, let it come. If it goes, let it go. It's a good one. Next one. You are capable of achieving great things, but that won't happen unless you take that first step. Another good one. Next one. The days you want to forget are the ones you will remember the most. I can relate to that one. So again, it's the days you want to forget are the ones you will remember the most. As we've talked about in several episodes, I'm going through some pretty challenging times with my mother right now as she deals with stage 4 liver cancer, so... That one hits home. Once more, it's the days you want to forget are the ones you will remember the most. So make the best of them, obviously. Next one. Tomorrow belongs to people who prepare for it today. That is a great one. 
Tomorrow belongs to people who prepare for it today. Next one. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. So true. Of course, uh, and again it was, be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Next one. You want more out of life? Put more into it. Pretty simple. That one's from a, uh, a great account to follow. His name is Coach Hans. I've got him linked in the Substack, And I've got another one that's even better from him further below. He's actually a, a coach, football coach, but always posting great stuff. Again, that one was, you want more out of life? Put more into it. Next one. You may not be there yet, but you are closer than you were yesterday. <laughs> a great one. You may not be there yet, but you are closer than you were yesterday. The next one is from the great Dave Ramsey, which I'm sure most of you have heard on the radio or heard of. Uh, he's great. If you are having money issues, you need to get your money issues in order. And he has the simple way to make that happen. But his quote is, Success is not a gleaming, shiny mountain. It's a pile of mistakes that you're standing on instead of buried under. Wow, that's a great one. Again, success is not a gleaming, shiny mountain. It's a pile of mistakes that you're standing on instead of buried under. It's a great one. Next one. No matter how good or bad your life is, wake up each morning and be thankful that you still have one. Ooh, that one's a little hard to hear, isn't it? Next one. Never let success get to your head. Never let failure get to your heart. That's a great one as well from uh, Command Sergeant Major uh, Curry. I often put some of his stuff in. Another great account to follow, by the way. Next one. Worry less, smile more. Don't regret, just learn and grow. Again, this one is worry less, smile more. Don't regret, just learn and grow. Another great one. Next one. When you focus on the good, the good gets better. That one's pretty good. When you focus on the good, the good gets better. Next one. Life becomes more meaningful when you realize the simple fact that you'll never get the same moment twice. Ooh, that one's deep, isn't it? Something to think about out there. Life becomes more meaningful when you realize the simple fact that you'll never get the same moment twice. Yeah, you probably should think about that one a moment. All right, let's go to the next one. Stay patient. The reward will come unexpectedly. It's pretty good. Again, stay patient. The reward will come unexpectedly. Next one. No matter how bad things get, something good is out there. Just over the horizon. I love that one, too. Keep pushing, right? No matter how bad things get, something good is out there. Just over the horizon. This is that one I mentioned earlier, or previewed, uh, Coach Hines. It's another great one, and uh, this one's a little longer, so I'll read it. Workouts are tough. Studying is tough. Getting up early is tough. Being a backup is tough. Starting is tough. Being an assistant is tough. Leading is tough. Winning is tough. Losing is tough. The fact is, most of life is tough. Choose your tough, give it your all, and own it. It's pretty good, isn't it? Life is definitely tough, and um, it's a lot more um, easier and, and enjoyable when you're winning than it is when you're losing. So it's going to be tough either way. You might as well aim to be winning and on top of it versus on the bottom of it. Next one. Everyone dies, but not everyone lives. Oh, that's a good one. Again, it is everyone dies, but not everyone lives. We all know people like that, don't we? Those who don't take chances, they just, they're stuck. You can almost see it in their spirit. They're just dead. Life is boring. It's eight to five. They don't live. They just go through the motions. Uh, heart always breaks for people like that. I've been <laughs> beat up and kicked and knocked down and hurt too many times to count, but I have definitely lived. Again, this one is everyone dies, but not everyone lives. 
This is uh, from John Gordon. He's an author and helps lots of folks um, with motivation and stuff. Uh, this one is The 11 Traits of the Best of the Best. And this is quite a list. Again, it's The 11 Traits of the Best of the Best. The best know what they truly want. Eh, you gotta know what you want before you get there, right? So, number one, the best know what they truly want. Number two, the best want it more. Oh, that's good. So, number one, the best know what they truly want. Number two, the best want it more. Number three, the best are always striving to get better. Oh, that's good, too. Number four, the best do ordinary things better than anyone else. Number five, the best zoom focus. Zoom focus. So they focus, but then they zoom on the focus. Number six, the best are mentally stronger. Number seven, the best overcome their fear. Number eight, the best seize the moment. Number nine, the best tap into a greater power than themselves. Number ten, the best leave a legacy. Oh, that's good. Number eleven, the best make everyone around them better. Wow, that's quite a list. It's probably worth listening to that one again. I won't reread them all. Back up your uh, player, your podcast, ever what you're listening to this song. Listen to that list again. Do what you can to become the best. All right, let's do just a few more here. Next one. Enjoy life today because yesterday is gone and tomorrow is never promised. Yeesh, another tough one. And also true. Again, enjoy life today because yesterday is gone and tomorrow is never promised. Next one. It is better to destroy one's own errors than those of others. Oh, that's good. It is better to destroy destroy one's own errors than those of others. Uh, that's a quote from a, from a couple thousand years ago from a philosopher, Greek philosopher, I believe. But uh, instead of errors, you could say mistakes. So it's better to destroy your own mistakes or take care of them or fix them than those of others. So focus on your own stuff. Don't worry about other people's stuff. Next one. Take the time to be grateful for where you are right now. Lots of people wish they could be in your position. Oh, that is so good, is it not? Take the time to be grateful for where you are right now. Lots of people wish they could be in your position. Good one on gratitude, is it not? I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10-plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. 
And finally, if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone. Call a friend or a family member. Do it for us all. We've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide. So I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath. Breathe. Call a friend or family member, one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So that'd be a great way to help out. And then finally, let me mention my books because, honestly, the airspace is free. And also, if you're the kind of person who listens to this podcast, they are probably books that would interest you. So I will briefly describe them. The first series is about a CIA series involving a Marine Scout sniper named Nick Woods. There's four books in that series. I got a fifth one releasing soon. I'm almost done with that, actually. Uh, It's my best-selling series, and not only is it fast-paced and crammed with action, but folks say that the uh, main character, Nick Woods, is one of the most real characters they've ever read. He's not some Jason Bourne-like Superman. He's just a hard, tough man who was raised in the old ways. The first book in that series is called Sold Out. And that's obviously because the main character, Nick Woods, gets sold out. I've also got a detective series about a prior Force Recon Marine who becomes a detective. He moves from a big city, which was Memphis, to a small town. And he learns there's a lot more going on there than you'd think. It's got some organized crime in it, loads of action. A couple of cops die before the end of book one. And if you love that as much as I think you will, there's also a book two. Book one is called Takedown. Book two is called Gravel Road, and it may have one of the longest, most grueling hand-to-hand fight scenes you've ever read. I get so much feedback from readers who just say that they are on pins and needles at the end of book two on what is happening and what the prior Force Recon Marine goes through. His name is Danny Akov, by the way. And then I've also got book one of a private investigator series done. It's about an army ranger who's a girl's only hope after she gets abducted and the cops have stopped looking there's plenty of action in it as well and it doesn't hurt that the aunt of the girl is hot and she takes part in the chase so uh, that book is called hell in the mountains and then i've got a couple of realistic war novels one's about world war ii it's called soldier on and i write about the end of world war ii an imaginary situation where the last elements of part of the german army's just trying to survive they know the war is lost but they're trapped from On one side, you know, the advancing American troops, and on the other, uh, Nazi SS units. So, really, the book is, it's pretty deep. So, it it digs into the realities of military leadership, and as these warriors are pushed and pulled through just unbelievable physical torment and mental anguish, and will they survive with their honor and dignity, and, you know, I've been told this, that Soldier On just truly defines what it means to be a soldier, to never give up. And then I've also got a realistic war novel about Afghanistan. It's called Hill 406. It's about a couple of Marines who couldn't be more different. They get thrown into an unbelievable combat situation. It's a situation in which they decide to disobey orders and risk everything in order to save some Marines. Had lots of great feedback about how gritty and realistic that one is from veterans who've served there, which is about the highest honor I could possibly get. And then finally, I've got one other book I wanted to mention. Actually, it's a part biography, part self-help, all-inspiration type book about Barack Obama, but includes absolutely no politics, no left-right issues. It's literally just a non-political look at Obama's rise. And I try to answer questions that many wonder about American presidents. What sets them apart? What qualities allowed them to reach their goals where others failed? How can you cultivate those qualities in yourself? And I think it's a great book that'll help inform you and motivate you kind of go into how he found his call and how he mastered speaking how he overcome just so many obstacles including that huge like two to one election defeat and it's the first in what i think will be a number of presidential books assuming they sell well enough it's the first one will be on him and the next one will be on a republican i've kind of started that one but i put it on hold until i try to see what the interest level is on some type of series of books such as this some folks don't like the political angles but again if you can get past the cover and the name it's not a political angle it's inspiration it's 
self-help. So I think you can learn a lot from presidents. I could go for on for, again, I won't get into it too much, but that book is called Number 44, The Traits and Characteristics That Carried Barack Obama to the Top. The How he managed to, the ability to beat out the Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton machine and make it to where he was is still just astonishing. I know he isn't liked by everybody, but it's an incredible book, in my humble opinion. So that's called Number 44. You can check that out as well. And I don't think I said this earlier, but you can find all of my books on Amazon. So just go to Amazon and just search for the name Stan R. Mitchell, and you should see a whole list of them. You'll see them all listed, and that's the best place to get them. And that's also why I have to put the R in my name. You'll see there's more than one Stan Mitchell. So way back in the day, I had to do what I never wanted to do, which is put a middle initial in my name, which to me just seems kind of... I don't know, pretentious, but yes, go to Amazon.com, search Stan R. Mitchell, and you will see a list of them. Hey guys, thanks so much. I figure by this point, not a lot of people listen anyway, but for those who are, I will catch you guys next Thursday. Thanks so much, and with that, I am out.